Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Today on the Sakara Life podcast, we are so excited to have Deborah Hannekamp, who many of you probably know as Mama Medicine. Such a good name. So good. I love it. Vogue called her fashion's favorite healer, and Mama Medicine facilitates medicine readings out of her space here in Soho in New York. These ceremonies integrate over 17 years of experience and wisdom in the healing arts, and her work blends ancient knowledge from across a variety of traditions. At the end of every medicine reading ceremony, Deborah prescribes a ritual bath, and they are so beautiful. They're healing just looking at them on Instagram, so if you want to check them out. Uh, her work has been featured in Vogue, New York Times, Marie Claire, and many others. In a world of gurus and self-help, Mama Medicine helps us connect to the inner shaman within us all, the power of love. Welcome, Deborah. So excited to have you here on the Sakara Life podcast. So excited. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. And usually this is not the setting that we're in together in this recording studio. Usually we're hanging out. Sitting in circle. Probably, We're probably at Danielle's house having a glass of wine. Oops. Sorry we didn't bring the wine today. I know. Where is it? <laughs> next no, time. Too, next time. Too early. <laughs> Danielle said, or the drums. <laughs> or the drums, yeah. <laughs> or both. Yeah. <laughs> next well, time. We thought it could be nice to start out with really what you do. I mean, I was first connected to you when I was pregnant and I did a medicine reading with you. And since then I've sent many people your way as a gift because it was such a gift for me, but I can never really explain to them what it is that you do. I always just tell them, just go, just trust me. And they do, thank goodness. But how would you kind of explain what it is that you do in your own words? I facilitate an experience called medicine readings where people are able to discover that they are their own healers. Mm. And we do that through talking about anything that's coming up in life. And then I read your energy and tell you what I see coming up. You lay down and we do a whole ceremony with scent and sound and some energy work just to really empower you and balance you out. And then I send you on your way with a prescription for a ritual bath and some homework to do. Mm. And what is the experience like? We can get into kind of more of the details of that, but I'm so curious from your vantage point, what it's like to do a medicine reading. Like, what do you see visually? Because I remember you talking to me about my aura. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just so curious what you see and like how, how you see it, how it kind of manifests for you. 
Yeah, I see a lot of different colors and shapes around people and places and plants and animals. So right when you come into my space for a medicine reading, I'll see your aura. But I also like feel you, you Mm -hmm. know, like I can. Yeah, it's sight and it's also like a sense Mm -hmm. of things too. Yeah. Do you see anything around us right now? Well, we have some interesting light in here. <laughs> I noticed because it's a little drab. We're recording <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a basement studio. It's good for good for sound, yeah. but not the best for lighting. Yeah. <laughs> but you have a lot of blue around you, Danielle and Whitney. You have a lot of yellow and gold mm. around you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And do these colors mean anything to you? Mm-hmm. Like, in general, blue to me is balance it's like balancing out it's seeking balance it can also be having the blues you know and yellow and gold it's like protection and a lot of Mm self-discovery and yeah like the protection you get from knowing who you are Mm. basically yeah Mm. and where do you think the colors come from like and and would you call this you're reading our auras And where does that energy come from? Like, why would mine be blue? Where does that vibration come from? Is it like a feeling? I think we have, so just like we have a physical body, we have an energy body, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think our energy body does pick up a lot more on our emotions. But I also can, like, see, this is not like to freak people out but I can also see like thoughts there's the like, car listeners pop, pop it's alright you yeah. can handle it <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can go there yeah. <laughs> you can see a thought what yeah I can mean? see like a thought like if someone has like kind of a good idea it literally looks like a light goes off and mm. if someone has like kind of like a judgment thought or like a negative thought it looks like a black sharp mm. um dart like shooting in towards them yeah wow so interesting (laughs) yeah and so I think that energy body is directly connected to our mind and like our emotions and I think just like we focus on physical health and then that makes our physical body sort of radiate when we focus on like mental health and emotional well-being and just kind of taking care of our hearts, then that makes our energy body, our our aura radiate. I love that so much because obviously I've known about energetic body and and this idea, but I've never really, and obviously I focus a lot on the physical body Mm -hmm. with food. And we talk about how important food is for emotional health and mental well-being. But I love that idea of you have to not only take care of your physical body, but your energetic body as well. And you can certainly do that through food. But what are some what are yeah, some other you, ways? How do you take your energy body to the gym? Yeah. <laughs> or the spa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's where the bath aspect of medicine readings comes in because it's this really amazing point of entry to be our own healers because we all really understand what a bath is, you Mm -hmm. know, like I'm not asking you to go like be barefoot in a week and stay in a tent, you know, like, although (laughs) I think that would be great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think that would be great. It's, you know, it's like pushable. It's more accessible for New Yorkers. Totally. Many of us like myself do not have a bath, but Um, then you can do a foot bath, right? 
or you can make the preparation for a ritual bath in a pot and then just bring it into the shower with you and and wash yourself with the herbs and Mm. the infusions and that can help a lot too. I love that. Mm -hmm. And when did you first discover that you could kind of see these energetic bodies and fields and we're so kind of in tune with that. Because I I think that we all really have the power to do that, but Mm -hmm. clearly you've been cultivating it for a lifetime and you're so in tune. Like usually how I explain you to people is she's clearly connected to something that most of us just aren't. Um, Making me blush. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. There's something so beautiful and angelic about you and it's so clear that you're, I almost feel like you're connected to the heavens. I know that might sound strange but that's usually how I end up explaining you to friends Mm -hmm. and so how do you think that cultivation started or like what was the first moment you discovered that you had this gift I think that I was just always a really kind of far out kid and just very like mystical like right off the bat like you know I grew up super religious and when I was eight, I like demanded to be baptized. I thought it was like the most amazing thing, you know? And in that specific religion, you wait till you're much older, like in your 30s, somewhere around there, where you have, when you have sins to wash away, huh. essentially, and then you get baptized. But like, I knew I had to be baptized. Wow. And then like a year later, they found this like huge tumor on my ovary and fallopian tube that had to be taken out and I got very sick. So like I knew that I I needed, I was you looking for cleansing. like cleansing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there were like a lot of things like that or like my aunt's boyfriend passing away and then me telling her all about like where he was, what was going on with him, that he wanted her to know that he's okay and all of that. But I actually thought everyone could see auras. Like I, I thought it's just like how you see Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then when I was 12, I was explaining to my friends about like the color that was around someone and like how I felt about it. And they looked at me like I was crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like so humiliating. Yeah. So that's when I realized that I was seeing something a little bit different. And then I went to the library at my school, which is where I spent a ton of my time. And I started reading different books about the aura. There's one by someone named Kilner or Klimner. I can't get his name just right. W.J. Klimner, I think. And he did all of these different studies about the aura, but it didn't really seem like what I was seeing. And hmm. he, he was taking pictures of yeah, the aura, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was one of the first to, to work with. To really study it. Yeah, with taking pictures of the aura of giving it a physical formation for other people to look at. Mm -hmm. To see, yeah. Yeah, and taking pictures of leaves, I Mm -hmm. believe. There are some really interesting studies around that. Yeah, and then there was also books from the Theosophy Society, which they got into the aura a little bit too, and like the concept of clairvoyance was introduced to me through those books. But nothing ever really um, like sat right with me I think because I had to develop my own intuitive language with the aura right you know and I I think that's true for all like study on energy that we have we all have 
our own intuitive language. And that's why it's so hard to really like Mm -hmm. teach someone how to be intuitive because it's like you already are. You don't need to learn. You just need to like open up to that. I have the best idea for a scientific experiment. Okay. We're going to take everyone that has intuitive sense and then maybe we'll have a group of people that, that don't necessarily or don't feel connected to it and we're going to take samples of their microbiome and we're going to see which bacteria are present in the people with intuition versus not because they you know the gut intuition listen to your gut I'd be so interested to know if there are any correlations right and so your hypothesis here is that your gut bacteria informs your intuition and plays a part at least no, or that if why you don't, have a stronger intuition, you have certain bacteria or exactly. stronger. My hypothesis would microbiome. be people that have an intuitive sense might share a certain strain of bacteria mm. or well, have an feelings. overpopulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to ask you do you feel like this is something that is hereditary? Like that it's something that gets passed down through generations the same way like a microbiome might? Or mm-hmm. it might be something mm-hmm. in your genes or in your energy, something? I think so. I think like on both sides, I have very intuitive people, both my mom's side and my dad's side. I don't necessarily feel like they were in a place where they could be open to it or develop it very much just because of like basically needing to get by and survive and all of that, where I, because of what they went through, had things easier enough that I could kind of have time to be curious about what what are these different feelings what is this different stuff that I'm seeing and you know mm-hmm. yeah and I also imagine it was like a safe place for you too to go where like you know as a kid growing up you grew up here in Queens no I grew oh, up how you did for some reason I think because I have an accent. <laughs> I think you do. I don't know why I thought you did. The Queen's <laughs> accent is not what I get no, from you. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in northern Connecticut, like northeastern oh, okay. Connecticut. Yeah, there's okay. northern Connecticut and there's southern Connecticut. Northern Connecticut is like New England, and southern Connecticut is New York. I grew up in the New England part of Connecticut. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I also imagine that people that have this intuitive sense can also maybe use it as like, yeah, a safe harbor, a safe place as you're growing up because you must have felt somewhat isolated knowing you had this other ability to see things that your peers did not. So is it like a place that you can run to and then that as a safe place and then that also means you're cultivating it at the same time? A safe place within myself. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that even though it could have been isolating at times or I easily felt misunderstood when I was growing up, I also, and and this continues, I think, to this day, just have like a really deep curiosity about people. And so that's why I live in New York, for example, because there's so many different kinds of people from all over the place. And I've lived here now for almost two decades. So like I would say I am from New York now, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that that place within myself, it's 
it's a deep understanding that like all of what I see around me is a is a mirror. So I don't feel so separated or so isolated as much as I feel like deeply, deeply connected. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And where do you think we go when we leave this life? That question just like came to me and I really wanted to ask you. I know we're going there, but um, I feel like one of the reasons we're so attracted to people that have this intuitive sense and, and clairvoyance is because everything on the other side is such a mystery. And so now that you feel, now you, you're tapped into something, right? And you've been cultivating a relationship to the other side in your opinion and in your, from your intuitive uh, standpoint or, or view rather, where do we go? I don't really have a succinct short answer for this, <laughs> but I just want to start with like, no, nobody really knows. Like, no, we don't, no one can really know for a fact. Yeah. But I think that when we, when, when we die, our spirits go into the great mystery, the great unknown, and it goes through a sort of regeneration, cleansing process, and almost like a whole another lifetime in the great mystery in terms of like wisdom that can be gained and evolution that can be had. And then I think our soul has this question that's carried from from life to death to life to death to life to death. And we, we then will choose a mother specifically, also a father, but more specifically a mother that's going to help us to answer the question of our soul. Mm-hmm. And, and so we come back. But also, I think that if we die, but we don't know that we're dead, our spirit gets trapped in the place where we've died. And that's why, like, for example, in New York, there's so many ghosts, you know? Mm. Because it, to me, it's not it's not like they're malevolent or, you know, yeah. cumbersome. It's more that they just don't know that they're dead. And so they just become more, like, spiritual information. and Like they still have to stick around for a download or for the answer to their question. Yeah, or to just realize that, like, they, they're not actually not high, they're actually dead. Right. And yeah. do you see a lot of ghosts in New York? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> New York, yeah. New York is so enchanted. What do they look like to you? Um, mist. Mostly mist. Mm-hmm. You know, not not necessarily like full-formed people walking around in the style yeah. of whatever time right. that they died, you know? But when I, if I'm sleeping somewhere that is like really spiritually charged as I'm going to sleep I'll start to see like their faces and then they'll start like talking and have a lot to say I can't mm. believe I'm talking about this right now <laughs> I, I, you have I want you to, to go there with yeah. us I want you to come over to my house to my apartment I live in the rectory of an old church from mm. the 1800s mm. do you feel and, like it's haunted what well somebody who has spent the night at my place told me that she woke up in the middle of the night and my record player was playing and that there was an old man like dressed in church attire standing in my living room. So I've never that seen him. would scare 
the shit out I've of me. I've definitely had experiences where I'm like, I don't think I left that light on. And like the light in the hallway will be on for me where I can see to get in or something like that. Where I feel like if there is a ghost, it's a nice ghost that's looking yeah. out for me. Yeah. But I don't think I've seen necessarily anything that would tell me, yes, for sure, there's a ghost. I feel like I could handle mist. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow seeing like the form of a person, it feels a little abrasive and it, I would feel like someone's in my space, not invited in that form. Yeah, but it, is it your space or is it their space? They don't know it's Touché. your space, you know? <laughs> Touche, Deborah. And do you ever, have you ever been, like most of us when we talk about ghosts and mm-hmm. think about seeing them, we would be scared. Do you ever feel that way or no? Uh, yeah, there's definitely some places that I will not go. You know, mm. I just feel like, why Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah, mm. and I imagine being, you must be such, I feel like empath is such an overused term these mm. days. But nonetheless, I think it's important that we're talking about it because mm-hmm. we all do have this ability to absorb energies, to take on what's around us, especially as women. We were actually just talking to Dr. Aviva Ram, and she said, she talked about how women especially, one, they read facial cues really well, but they also tend to just take on the stress around them, and it's measurable, so you can actually measure cortisol and women spike. And so as an empath and as somebody that's definitely intuitive and connected, how do you kind of keep yourself somewhat sheltered or what's your, what's yeah what's your protective shield that you use so you don't just walk around especially in New York absorbing all the energies you might not want yeah this is such a good question because I used to have like so many talismans and oils and stuff I would wear to keep myself protected I would have like five necklaces on you know what I mean yeah like, really like loaded up with protection right yeah but in my training in the Amazon for the first few years my teacher was actually sending me a lot of like black magic he was like purposefully psychically attacking me and I was trying everything even like stuff that he told me to do to protect myself and the oils the talismans the this the that and nothing was working I was still getting attacked I mean I would spend like a month so like depressed and in this really dark like depressed place like Hmm. just with a lot coming at me right Mm -hmm. and I went into a ceremony and I was like okay here it comes again. The attack is going to come again. What is it that I haven't tried yet? And I thought about like when I feel the most, when I feel like the opposite, the direct opposite of the sensation that I was feeling. So I was going into the ceremony, I was feeling like a ton of fear, right? Mm -hmm. And on high alert and in that like kind of, you get in that kind of like aggressive, like high alert, fearful place. And I was like, okay, the counterbalance to this must be the direct opposite. So when do I feel the direct opposite of this? And I realized that it was when I'm with my dogs. My RIP to Vishena. At the time, they were what I loved the most in the world. And so I focused all of my energy on my dogs as if I was like, 
there with them mm-hmm. and then nothing could come at me. None mm. of the none of the darkness could come at me. So then I realized that fear is a super powerful energy, you know? Mm-hmm. And like there's a lot out there actually that like plays on our fear and wants us to be afraid, you know? Absolutely. Like, the news. <clears throat> news everything. and marketing. Yeah. Everything cuz cuz you know Lots of people know that fear is a very powerful energy, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that love is more powerful. I would even say love is the most powerful energy. And so to protect myself now, I just stay in the power of love. If I'm in a moment where I feel like I really need a lot of protection, I just close my eyes and I go into focusing on what I love the most in this world. And it's like all of a sudden there's this invisible force field around me. I love that. I think about what we do here at Sakara and how we make sure we, that people never feel like they're on a diet or, you know, a crash course so you can lose five pounds for the weekend, even though a lot of people do. That's not, that's not why we want people coming to us. Mm -hmm. And so therefore it means we can't, we, not that we can't, but we choose not to do the typical marketing, which is exactly mm-hmm. playing on fear. It's exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying. And so as we think about communicating our promise to people that they can feel better, that you know they can lose the five pounds if that's what they want, but that it's so much more than that, we have to get so specific. And we really have this narrow lane with which we can kind of play mm-hmm. about how we can help people understand that this is so life transforming because I think we're kind of addicted to the fear. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. You get a rush from it. You do. It's like, yeah. A, yeah, it's like adrenaline or something and we all buy into the fear, but how can we, especially as consumers start to notice that someone or some company is playing on my fear? Yeah, we never really talk about all of the cancer-causing ingredients in other right. products mm-hmm. or, you know, how things can cause depression, anxiety, infertility, yeah. you name it, mm-hmm. and play into people's fears. But we more choose to talk about the positive and bring people into that place of you need to nourish yourself, and nourishment is a form of love. And giving your, your body that love through the form of food. And deciding you're worthy. And deciding you're worthy. And I think so many of us out there don't choose to love ourselves and choose to do the dieting or whatever else from that place of fear. And then that just cultivates more fear. And it will never lead you to that place where you're truly happy and at peace if you're always in that state of running and in of fear. And so I love that you're you're visualizing and embodying that feeling of love. I think that's so powerful to do that visualization. Um, do you have any other practices that you do to maintain that feeling of love or gratitude throughout the day or recently um I've been working a lot with forgiveness, Mm. which has been really profound for me um, because Mm. I feel like it's been this uh, untapped 
river of love. And uh, as I've been practicing it, I've been realizing like how much I have to forgive. Like even when Mm -hmm. you're talking about like, you know, a lot of the dieting marketing out there and how it just like makes people kind of like hate themselves more. A lot of the time it's like, okay, there's another thing I have to forgive. There it is again, you know? Or like a cop that gave me a parking ticket like five years ago has been like popping up. It's like, oh, there's another thing I have to forgive. But recently I've been working a lot with it. And it's first like having acceptance uh, for what has happened. And then understanding where I was because really we always have to forgive ourselves Mm -hmm. and understanding where the other was or or where the others were at that time and the fear that was there and then having compassion and ultimately forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I love that. It makes makes me think about you really have to kind of isolate where the pain is, right? Because I feel like it starts with some kind of pain. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened with your parking ticket. <laughs> I can empathize. I just had to, like, pay for Danielle parking tickets. Danielle was getting her transcript, yeah, and I, it was on hold. Yeah. They wouldn't give it to her because she had to pay parking tickets. Like, oh, 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what? Um, still haunting It's you the ones yeah, that you forget about. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it's funny we're talking about this because I was thinking, you know, where was I at that time where— um, I wouldn't have just paid. I think they were like twenty five dollars mm-hmm. each, and I didn't even. I didn't just pay them, and mm-hmm. it was probably because, you know, my my mom and I grew up on food stamps. Like we never had a lot of money. I had to pay my way through school, and so it was probably this protection of, okay, I'm not going to put twenty five dollars out the door right now. I'll save it for later. And in, intuitively, I probably knew it would come back. Mm-hmm. Um, now is that later? Now, now is this the time. <laughs> it's coming back for me. But I love what you're saying because you kind of have to identify where is the insecurity or the pain mm-hmm. and kind of forgive that. Mm-hmm. It also makes me think about karma, which I define karma as this energetic exchange. And if you have these, if you're holding on to these moments um, of anger, of distrust, pain, whatever those things are that you're still holding on to, those are energies that are weighing you down. And if you can release them through forgiveness, then it allows more space for you to attract something for that space, that energetic space on you to be filled with something else, to be filled with love or light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing, like, the things that we hold on to without even realizing that we're holding on to them and how much they can hold us back and then how much insecurity that causes and, like, blocks us from moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I never picture you getting angry or yelling or anything like that. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Just curious. I'm a Scorpio. Asking for a friend. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> oh, okay. I think that the thing is that if I feel angry, I usually can like react very quickly. Like I don't hang on to stuff. That's why this like forgiveness work has been so deep because I it just kind of like popped in, like, maybe that's something I should try on. And I realized that there was so much that 
needed to be released. But I actually have no problem with confrontation at all. So if I have to say something to somebody, if something's like rubbing me the wrong way, I'll just tell them like with zero issue, with not worrying about the judgment that I'm going to face when I tell them what I think, you know? So like, it's all, I think it's also part of just being a business owner in New York City and, like, having to deal with, like, construction workers Mm -hmm. and, like, contractors and things like that. Like, if you you don't—if you're not, like, really, really direct, you—everything is open to interpretation. Yeah. 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 I love that. And um, just a little bit of a step in a different direction. It's interesting that you— are an intuitive and this clairvoyant and it's so spiritual, but then you're also a business. How did you think about turning this gift that you have into a business? Well, I, I kind of knew from a very young age that I was going to have my own business. Like I, I don't know, like anytime I tried working for other people, there was always like, I guess like a real issue with authority on Mm -hmm. my end, like a real serious issue with authority. Scorpio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also there was not, there was no like university course for what I would want to do. I had to like just start, I had to just like get going. So it's kind of just like, I followed a path that like had to be a business, but I don't mind the business part of it. It's just like part of what it it has to be. And I actually think that there's a lot of creativity and because there's creativity, spirituality in running a business, you know? Yes. And I think that that's actually like the new paradigm. Like I feel you two are very much in alignment with this. It's like, just a new paradigm of having a business. It's like, yes, you can be a very feminine, receptive, loving human being and also be like a total boss. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. We talk about this sometimes with our employees, which I don't know if it's totally HR appropriate, but we talk about how your growth at work, your professional growth is not just professional growth, it's spiritual growth. Personal and growth. Personal yeah. growth. And mm-hmm. that... What you need to learn in order to grow at work is often what you need to learn to grow in your personal life as well, or your habits and the, and isms that you have don't just go away when you leave the office it, or don't go away when you leave home and come into the office, and that you need to work on those pieces of yourself, lean into what's hard. If you're not good at speaking up, you know, you, that's probably something that a lot of people do have to work on, being direct, not leading with fear, but having that confidence in themselves to ask for what they want or say what's on their minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that is a spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I also think that the work that the three of us are in, along with many, many other people, it comes from such an authentic place and I think that is also part of the new paradigm Mm -hmm. is 
stepping into, it doesn't feel like work. I love where you were talking about this earlier before we started recording that you were on this retreat and you, it was a lot of work, air quotes, work, Yeah. but it didn't feel like it. It just felt like it, it felt like what you needed and what you wanted and not to say, <laughs> I don't want to misconstrue. I often feel like work is really work and I, and I'm tired and you know, I, I empty my cup, so to speak, many times, and, and that's on me. But most of the time, when I show up in the office or I show up to these kinds of things or events, I feel so full because I know that I'm on my path and I know that whatever gift it is that I have to give, I am giving it in this work. And it feels it feels profound to, to, to feel like we're on the path we're meant to be in some way. And in service. And in service, yeah. I think that is one of the keys to feeling fulfilled, Hmm. is knowing that your work is in service to others. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't mean you don't get paid for it. It doesn't mean it can't be a job. It means that you're giving your gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, too, like, with work that is so exciting and that you, you get to be in service and you get to see such powerful transformations in people and within yourself— it can be really hard to find that like off switch of when it's time to also not work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> totally relate. Because I don't like, know about uh, that off switch. <laughs> what off switch are you talking about? Can you help us locate it? <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. Because it's like, I'm either like working, helping other people, or then there's also like the working on myself. Then it's like, the but when is the time where you just get to like, just lit like watch a movie and like chill out and as I'm getting a lot older in my work I'm realizing how incredibly important it is to just like not like just totally unplug from like all of it Mm -hmm. and just play a board game with my daughter yeah what was the last movie that you watched Mm. Well, I was just on an airplane. Oh. Let's see. There was it was so good. I forget the name of it though. It was about these this boy and this girl who have only one day to fall in love, and it was set in New York City, of course. What? So it was so good. The soundtrack was so good. A romance movie. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't really do much else. Yeah, except same. for like comedy and and romance because it just it's. Yeah, your body doesn't know the difference if it's yeah. real or if it's a movie, right? You I still re- feel the the tension. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, a teacher once telling me that you have to be really careful what you allow into your space because it might not hit your conscious brain, but it does hit your subconscious at the minimum. Mm-hmm. So anything like scary movies or scary Game of books. Thrones. Or, <laughs> <laughs> although, darn it, that was so good. Um, I don't mind that living in my subconscious. <laughs> um, but, you know, I remember being, when I was pregnant, I was so sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not watch any anything about the news. I couldn't watch anything that was even remotely violent. I had to really be careful because it just it was it was consuming, and it, I felt like it like zapped me. Talk about having that protective orb or energy field. I feel like I had to work so hard to keep it around me when I had those types of things in my space. Do you think that those types of movies or or inputs really do impact us in a way that maybe we don't know? Absolutely. I mean. 
I actually think like the the biggest one is music. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. And like you know, music because I I work a lot with sound, and I really notice how like sound can really raise people's vibration or really like give people a lot of strength in their energy or really lower it. And I think like a lot of what is out there in pop culture is actually like really lowering our vibration, you know? And I'm a product of the 90s. And like, I can't like, for example, with Nirvana, like I can't even like, I can't hear Nirvana, not even in a nostalgic way anymore because you hear so much like pain, you know? Yeah. And when you really listen to some of the lyrics and what people are saying, it's a lot of like, I'm depressed and it's so cool. It's so cool to be depressed or like, I'm going to get revenge or like, you want me, but you can't have me because I'm so much better than you, even though like. Right. Or like mm -hmm. victim. How could you? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's so much insecurity. It's just total insecurity. So what do you listen to? I really love Maggie Rogers. Mm. Yes, she's high vibration. Oh my gosh, she's so good. Yeah. I got to go to her concert when she was at Radio City Music Hall. And it was oh, it was so good. It's, we it, saw her in Sedona once. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're saying this because actually now that I have a little one in the house, we have been much more conscious of the music we're playing. Because um, I do think that it really seeps in both in a way where it can hit our subconscious, but it can also, I think, be really healing and help us make new neural connections. Mm-hmm. My husband is really into making sure she is surrounded by music all the time. So she started playing the piano with him at literally a month old. And by that, he was like taking her little finger. <laughs> you know, she wasn't doing anything. <laughs> She's not a prodigy I'm, I'm on the piano so far. Um, but just how important music is and how much it can fill us up and really heal us. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you did a ceremony with me, you sang Mm -hmm. and I could feel the vibrations coming out of your vocal box and like hitting me in this really profound way. And where did you, where did you find that gift? And do you think of yourself as a singer? I definitely don't think of myself as a singer, (laughs) but I actually was told a lot when I was a kid, like I couldn't sing and stop singing. My family was musicians. Like my brother is a total prodigy on the guitar. My dad was playing the drums. So like when I would sing, they would be like, oh, and then somewhere during my apprenticeship, I realized that like the issue was what I was trying to sing. And I started really learning the Icaros, the the medicine songs. And to learn how to sing an Icaro, you have to dye it with the plant. So you have to spend a month or 10 days in the jungle and you're fasting and you're drinking an infusion of the plant. And then you ask the plant to teach you how to heal yourself, right? And sometimes the plant will teach you an Icaro, a song. And so... It was like the plants taught me how to sing. Wow. And yeah, and, and eventually I met the teacher of my teacher and he asked me to sing in a ceremony, which is a really powerful rite of passage in the apprenticeship. 
And from then I you didn't stop singing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I We have several friends actually that talk about if they could do one thing in life, they wish they could sing. And I'm thinking of two sisters in particular. And it's such a, it's, when you said rite of passage, that resonated so much. Like it feels like such a gift to be able to, to sing and so healing. And they're actually women that we've sat in circle with and they, I've heard them sing and they have such incredible voices, but I don't know where they got the idea that they didn't or where it became such an insecurity. Do you think that, I guess, do you think that especially being women, it's hard to, to kind of open up and it's very vulnerable to sing. Mm -hmm. And do you think that um, that comes from maybe the patriarchy or is it connected at all? Oh, totally. We have been silenced for a long time. This is like, at the end of medicine reading ceremonies, the group work that I do, I always have everyone sing. And I'm like, I really want you to sing, even if you feel like you have a terrible voice and singing in public would be the scariest thing that you could ever do. I really want you to sing because um, there's so much that gets stuck in, in our in our voice. And this is where our truth is and our ability to like really hear ourselves and really communicate with ourselves. And we actually have started even silencing ourselves in so many ways, like Mm -hmm. don't say this, don't say that. And then that goes back into the whole fear thing. And so our, our power, I believe, and our ability to translate the power of love is in our voices you know I love that so much we usually at the end of every session we ask for light work and light work to us we give it to our Saqqara lights often in our programs and it's work that helps you shine your light and so I love that maybe I won't put words in your mouth but maybe this is the light work that you want to share with our Saqqara lights to sing yeah Definitely. If, if you were to give them a practice or a challenge around this, mm-hmm. what, 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 what would it be? I think if you're, if you're really, really nervous about singing, right, just start in a bath because usually in the bath we're alone and sing any song at all. Anything that you know the words to, you can make it up. You can even just make sounds if you want to. But sing into the water and then bathe in what you've sang. Mm, In the vibrations. Yeah. And do you want to sing for us? That's so embarrassing. (laughs) I've heard you sing so many times. We're going to ask you to do your own light work. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Now is your chance to shine your light. Um, Okay. On the spot. Let's see. I love you. We'll close our eyes, all of Mm -hmm. us here in this room. Okay, this is a song that came through for my daughter um, as a lullaby, and it's one that you can sing very easily um and it's a it's a good one it's a good one so let's see 
Sometimes I want to run with the wolves. Sometimes I want to fly like an eagle. Sometimes I want to run with the wolves. Sometimes I want to fly like an eagle. Run with the wolves, feel my family around me. Fly like an eagle, I can never feel lonely. Run with the wolves, feel my family around me. Fly like an eagle, I can never feel lonely. Never feel lonely, never feel lonely. Oh, I love you. <laughs> You're just the best. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. And Thank we're going to join all of our Sakaralites in singing this, this week. week. Yeah, we're going to give it a go. We're working on, on our light work, too. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Thanks. Isn't she incredible? If you haven't experienced a session with Mama Medicine and ever find yourself in New York City, I highly recommend it. Not only is she an amazing energy healer and transformation facilitator, but she also helps you realize that each of us has the power to be our own healer, too. She puts that power back into our hands, a power that many of us don't even realize we possess. When Danielle and I started Sakara, we weren't thinking about it as a business. We began eating this way because it saved our lives when we were both at our rock bottoms. I'm not just talking about the physical effects. Eating this way profoundly changed our relationships with our bodies and the way we moved through the world. Many clients come to us for weight loss, but then a few weeks in, receive an even more powerful transformation. Here's what a Saccharolite in Illinois had to say. My metamorphosis during this program was not just physical, but emotional and spiritual too. Less fatigue and clearer thoughts, along with a sense of that black cloud was lifting, caught me by surprise. Often clients come to us looking for a more physical change in their bodies, and what they receive is so much greater than that. And, you know, if it takes somebody coming to us looking for weight loss or clearer skin to discover that transformation, then great. We're happy to take them in any way that they get to us. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com. Or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. This podcast was recorded live at Noya House in New York City. 